0: amen I want to look at that today as we go through the the scriptures i i'm going to we've been going through this book in the in, These letters in the books of Revelations, in Revelations 2 and 3. And today, open up your Bibles. If you have your Bible, open up to Revelations 2. If you have your phone, you can go to the church app, and you can open the app up. Go to the media and open that up, and then you can just hit the sermon notes, and it will take you to today's date. Click that, and you can follow right along. You'll have notes to go along with you. Again, I do that to help keep you uh, plugged in, to help you. There's some fill-in-the-blanks, and again, it'll just keep you, hopefully... Staying with us, we are going to talk about the church, the letter that was written to the church in the city of Smyrna. And there are some things that I wanted you to know or want to share with you as we go through this. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to try to get through all of this, Smyrna, in one day. There are so many things that we could go off into here. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to share you with you just like some thoughts you're going to have to dig deeper into some of those thoughts yourself which i think you should have to do but i want to go through this because next week it's palm sunday and we're going to celebrate the triumphal entry and then uh you know we've got then easter coming and we celebrate our resurrected god and it's going to be a wonderful time to celebrate so i want to get through this today so let me let me stay with my notes here so i don't go off on all my funny rabbit trails Smyrna, the, the, the city of Smyrna today is no longer called Smyrna. it is called Izmir. It is in Turkey, and the city of Izmir, Turkey, has over 4 million people that live in that city. Just to give you some context, that city of Izmir today is a little bigger than the city of L.A. It's bigger than Los Angeles is. And it became famous back in the day, the ancient city of Smyrna became famous because there was a letter that was actually sent to the church of Smyrna from the Lord Jesus Christ that was given to John. And John wrote this letter and sent this letter to the church. Now when the church, when, when the, the letter was first written, the church of Smyrna or the city of Smyrna had between 70 and, and, and 100,000 people that lived in it. So even at that time, it was still at that point a big, big city. And Christianity had been established in Smyrna at the very beginning. They, again, thoughts, uh, the, the most general consensus is that Christianity began in Smyrna after, pretty much right after Pentecost when Christianity was birthed and the people left the city of Jerusalem and went out all over the place. And where the people went, the gospel went. The way it should be yes, it is. where the people went the gospel went and there were people that had come from all these places to jerusalem and now they're coming back and these people have been you know they'd experienced the holy spirit they'd experienced this born-again place that the church was uh, uh, birthed out of and wonderful things it was a new testament church that was here and it had been established at pentecost and then it had been encouraged and grew as missionaries were being sent out many coming out of ephesus and this church was a church where there were probably a number of churches, a number of smaller churches, maybe meeting in different home groups or different places, because at that time the church was experiencing a tremendous amount of persecution and suffering. They were under the, the reign of, of this cruel emperor, Dimithian. I talked about him a few weeks back. And in that place, they had been under tremendous persecution. Domitian, honestly, I mean, he was a terribly, terribly evil man. But he was brilliant. Uh, he, he built, he did, he, he was an engineer. He did a lot of things. And one of the things that he was really good at was systematically going through these towns and killing and wiping out Christianity. That was his intent. And so systematically, he was going after the Christians. And so it's in this time here that that John has, before this, but it's for this time, that John had been given a letter to deliver. And and the letter was to be delivered to seven different churches. That's what we see in Revelations 2 and 3. There's seven churches that Jesus sent these letters to. This church here, the letter that was sent to Smyrna, includes only encouragements. Realize that this church, there was no criticism that had come like we saw in the church at, at Ephesus. This was a very faithful church. This was a church that had clung to the scriptures, that was standing on the rock, Jesus Christ. They were doing what it was that God wanted them to do because of their deep and desperate love for Jesus Christ. Now, the name of the city, and again, names are important, and names always have been important. The name of the city, Smyrna, has some different meanings. The ancient Hittite meaning of that name, Smyrna, is city of the mother goddess. This was a city that was known for pagan worship, specifically pagan worship of this female deity that really was no deity. This was a powerful demon that oversaw much of what was happening in that city. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about the effects of that. But the Greek meaning of Smyrna is the city of Myrrh. We all remember Myrrh, right? Remember back to the days of Jesus? Back when Jesus was born at the time of his birth, the Bible says that wise men came from the east, and they came from the east bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here we have, in again, the Greek meaning of Smyrna is the city of myrrh. Now, myrrh was, let me just say this, myrrh was a really strange gift to bring to a baby. I mean, myrrh was at times a strange gift in many different respects because of the duplicity of the meaning of what myrrh was. Myrrh was a very beautiful perfume. But Myrrh, again, the ability to make money off of perfume in that day was not as good as the ability to make money at the other use of myrrh, which was an embalming fluid. And so as an embalming fluid, it had much more value, and so it was used extensively in both of these places. And that's kind of weird to give to a baby. It represents death and it represents a sweet and pleasant aroma. So, as confusing as that might be, it was so fulfilling of the life of Jesus and what Jesus did. In Jesus' death, it was both a pleasant and pleasing aroma unto God, and it paid the price for the wrath of God. And again, myrrh represents so much of that. And it's very appropriate that this city of Smyrna would be the city of myrrh because this city, the people within the city, the church within that city, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were being killed. And church, their faithful service that they continued in the face of all of that imitated the life of Jesus Christ. It was myrrh, what they were doing. They they faced the real threat of death. Most of us don't know what that feels like. Uh, But they faced the very real threat of death. And again, in that, their service would have been considered a sweet aroma before God. A sacrificed life. Something that was pleasing in the sight of God. And it was pleasing in the sight of God because they demonstrated by the way they lived and the way they acted an uncompromised devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, leadership is important. And I think that much of what the church received or much of how the church acted came from the devotion and the courage of, of some of their church fathers or some of the leaders that were put into place in this church. One of the men was legendary. Again, I think you should all pull it up and read about him. An amazing, amazing story of a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the, the church fathers or overseers basically he was a bishop but he was trained by john he was trained by john the beloved john the the youngest the uh, the apostle the one who had been discipled he knew jesus from the time of his first ministry and and walked through all of that to where he even experienced the death and the resurrection of jesus john who wrote first second third john the gospel of john revelation the john who was boiled in oil and then because he didn't die he was then sent and exile to the island of Patmos. It's the same John that was at a hundred years old buried just outside of Ephesus where the major portion of his uh, uh, ministry or the, the outcome of his ministry went out of. And John is the one who trained Polycarp. And Polycarp was sent to the city of Smyrna, where in Smyrna he became a bishop that would oversee the pastors and the church leadership and help them to stay on course, help them to stay faithful, help them to do. And he spent years ministering in this city. He was one of the church fathers. Well, there was a point where there was a delegation that was being called to Rome, a delegation of Christians that would come and represent Christianity. And Polycarp volunteered to be one of those who would go as a representative of Christianity and would go to Rome. Well, while he had gone, he was away from his church. He was away from his beloved. He was away from the family of God that he had. And on his way, he was falsely accused. He was arrested and he was sentenced to death all because he would not worship Domitian. Domitian had self-declared himself to be Lord, God, and Savior. And everybody was required to exalt him as that. But Polycarp would not deny Jesus. In fact, he, in the face of that, he confessed that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, God, and Savior. And he would not worship Domitian. And so Polycarp was this, this pastor, this simple man, a bishop, he was taken to the place of execution. And here he stood, getting ready to be burned at the stake, burned alive. And here he stood before a pile of wood with a stake coming out of it. And he stood in the face of that, the shadow of the stake probably on him. And they said, this is your last opportunity to deny Jesus Christ and to submit yourself to Domitian. And if you do, you will be saved. And in the shadow of the stake, he said this, for 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And normally, the Roman soldiers would have to drag the prisoner, up onto the wood to be burned at the stake. And Domitian pushed him away and said, no, I willingly walk to my execution. And he walked himself up. Normally, they'd put their hands around the stake and then they would nail their hands on the backside of the stake so they couldn't get off. Domitian said, don't nail my hands. I willingly hold to the stake that I give my life for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died with his hands unnailed, burned at the stake worshiping his God that was the example word got back to the church word got back to the church in Smyrna that, that this had all happened that there. Bishop, their their, their pastor, their their leader, the one who who had led so many of them to Christ, the one who had discipled them, the one who had baptized them, the one who had counseled them, the one that had married so many of them, the one that had loved them, the one that had cared for them, the one that they, they all loved and he loved them had been brutally murdered and martyred. They got news of this. And you know what? In that example of bravery, Christianity, Continued to flourish. The people didn't back away because of what happened to him. The people stepped up and began to continue in the ministry that they were called to because of the example of his bravery. They remained devoted, and that's what this letter is saying. They remained steadfast, even in the face of suffering church, the people were commended by God because they walked in the example of Jesus. They followed the example of their leader, Polycarp. Now, that was back in the day. Now, today, and you'll find only, you know, 2,000 or so years later, there is only a faithful, small remnant of people in the town of Smyrna or Izmir. There's just a very remnant of light that's there. Do you know that modern-day Turkey is where two-thirds of the New Testament comes out of? I mean, the, when, the, when the, basically, when the temple was destroyed, Christianity really did move, basically, to Turkey. And out of... Ephesus and some of these other places, the gospel begun to ring forth and go forth. And so much of that, much of what happened will be traced. You see Paul's missionary journeys and all of the churches and all that was birthed. Most and much of that happened in what we have as modern day Turkey. And, And again, I didn't, as I looked that up, I didn't realize how honestly influential, and in how important this city was, or not city, this nation is. And I, here's, I put a map up here, and you can see it really is a bridge nation. And it is a bridge between two places. Look at what there's a bridge between. It's the bridge between the Middle East and Europe. And, and again, a very influential, very important just country. It is a tremendous bridge, and today, because of that, it is a, it is a, uh, a very cosmopolitan nation. The nation is very uh, dispersed in, in, in their thoughts and theologies and all the certain beliefs that they have. It is a very modern nation. It really is more modern than what you would think when you look at it, but it is also a very post-Christian nation. In Turkey, there are 74 million people, roughly, that live there. And out of 74 million people, there's estimated that there are about 3,500 Turks that are evangelical Christians. 3,500. Which again means that in Samirna or Izmir today, out of the more than 4 million people, there are only hundreds of Evangelical Christians. There are in, in this whole nation, there's only are in, I'm sorry, in the city of Izmir, there are only two churches that have attendance of more than a hundred people. Two churches with more than a hundred people in a city that is bigger than LA. Again, it, it is a, a dark, dark place. So church. This letter, I believe, that we're going to look at here, I still believe is very applicable today. And I believe that because what it says to us. And, and the first thing is this, that Jesus, he, he's watching. I was thinking about that, and I, I thought, you know, in these as I was just looking at turkey and just doing some research some of you I'm sure know way more than I do but in the modernization of our world today one of the things that we have become totally and completely infatuated with is the television television i mean is and it's not just in our nation our, i mean it's everywhere there are so many tv i mean you can go to like some backwoods kind of you know little hut place and find a 65-inch TV and a dish up there, you know, on the... <laughs> running a generator so the TVs will work. They don't even have a refrigerator, but they got a TV. <laughs> Look, some of you have more... Some of you have more satellite dishes on your house than you have people in your house. I really, really believe... I believe that today in our nation... This is embarrassing because this is really us... But I think, I think that most households have more TVs than people. And in our nation today, I would dare to bet that there are more TVs than people in our nation today. Because we're infatuated with watching TV. Again, I, I think that that becomes a detriment in many ways. But I think some of that we get from our Father because I believe that God, I believe that Jesus is watching the TV. I believe Jesus watches the church channels. I, I think he does. And, and I think he is. I mean, here it says, you know, he was watching. So when you're watching TV, remember. Revelations 2 and 3 is really just a testimony to Jesus watching the church channels. And I believe is one of his favorite channels. This is Smyrna. Smyrna, I just think that's one of the favorite things that he was watching. There was no rebuke that he brought to the church at that point. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to this word. I uh, spoke this word that we're going to look at to Smyrna through John. He spoke this word and told them he's watching. He said he was watching them. He's paying careful attention to them. Do you know that God is watching? Do you know that God is watching? Do you know that he's, he's not watching so He can find out what you do wrong? He's watching because He cares about you, because He loves you, and He is watching because of His desperate love for you. He's watching not because He wants to catch you at something. Listen, He was watching them, and that's what He says in these, in these letters. He says He was watching, and He's the same. My Bible tells me that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God is watching. What's he watching today? What's he watching right now? I believe that even though it's a small little remnant, I believe he's still watching a little church in Smyrna, And I also believe he's watching a little church in Tooele. And I believe he's watching because he cares. So we look at the word that Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna In Revelations chapter 2, in verse 8, he says this, and, and again, we talked about this last time, but he begins each letter with this, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right. Again, so he's telling us that there's an angel that's appointed to the church, that each of these churches has an angel that is appointed to care and to watch over, a powerful spirit being that was sent to serve that church. And listen, angels don't die like we do, so angels angels they don't they don't die. So my thought in that was just I wonder if the same angel is watching over the church in Smyrna today that was watching over the church back then. The same angel, what fighting, watching, overseeing, an angel that has been laboring to preserve a faithful remnant, a faithful church, a faithful people that has been fighting in the heavenlies to keep a light in a place of darkness. Amen. Amen. Look, You know, today, the church is all lit up. The lights are on, and so everybody's able to see. The light is there. But if the church was dark, listen, all it takes is one little match, and everybody can see the light. And God has preserved a light. He has preserved a light in this place here, and he's preserved a light here. And I wonder if the same angel is the one overseeing that, fighting. Because again, wherever the angels are fighting, they're fighting against something. And where those angels are and where there's a battle against God, there are demons, there are unclean spirits, there are forces of hell that are at work against what God is doing. And today... Again, it may look like, in some respects, it may look like the enemy is winning because Turkey is one of the darkest places on earth when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Statistically, research says that Turkey, again, and again, I want to remind you, this place where, again, two-thirds of the New Testament can be traced back to. Today, Turkey, this bridge, is the most unchurched nation in all the world. It is the most unchurched place or the most non-evangelical Christian place on earth. It's dark. And I find, as I look this up, that we have a lot of similarities here in Utah to the church in Turkey. Did you know that Utah is the most it, it, that Utah ranks number one when it comes to the least number of evangelical Christians in the whole nation. In fact, statistics say that only seven percent of the population of Utah would claim to be evangelical Christians. That is again that is a sad statistic. It means that we are, and well above or below, cities like New York or Massachusetts or Vermont. And therefore, you, I, we are a, a, a remnant that God is keeping, that God is losing, that God wants to cause to burn brightly, that God wants to use the light that he's placed in you And just like in Izmir, just like in in Smyrna, the battle that they fought, the battle that they had was a spiritual struggle. It was a battle that was being fought in the the spiritual nature. And I want you to know that the struggles that we have are spiritual in nature as well. There are spiritual battles, there are spiritual struggles that are going on. And the spiritual struggle that's happening in, in, in the nation of Turkey is for the nation of Turkey. The devil wants to snuff out that light. He wants to, to, to blind those people in darkness. And the church is there as an essential remnant to allow the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue to burn. And God, while there is a light, there is the hope of a fire. While there is a light, there is the hope of a wildfire. God wants to use that light, and God is keeping that light. And it is a spiritual battle that these people are being called to as well as we are. And if the, the message of Jesus Christ, if the gospel will go forward, then we have to realize that we are the light that God has placed in this community. Amen. When we moved here, we moved here, I didn't even, I've never lived in the Bible Belt. So I don't really know what that's like to live in Tennessee where, you know, states like that. Tennessee is the number one most evangelical and about 50% of the people that live there would claim to be evangelical Christians. Here it's, Seven percent. So uh, coming from Arizona, uh, I've never lived in the Bible Belt. So I never lived in an area that was real, you know, I mean, we lived in a, you know, our state was huge uh, impact from Catholicism. And then we moved here. And I was, even coming from Arizona, I was absolutely floored. I was amazed at how unchurched or how, how non-evangelical Christian our city is. And still is. And being a Christian here, again, I don't know what your experiences are, but with the predominant religion that's here, my experience as a pastor coming here was absolutely horrible at the beginning. My goodness, I would see it in people's faces. I was, you know, we, people, hey, hi, what's your name? I'm Mark. What do you do? I'm the new pastor at New Life. (laughs) And again, I'm not making this up, but I became a pariah to them. I could see it in their face. I was, again, I, even my neighbors, they, they were, I mean, hey, I'm Mark from New Life. Oh, all right, and today, I don't know if it's better or worse, today, you know, we're known by a lot of people because of the outreach and what we, you know, we do in helping the community, anyone who wants to come, and so, you know, we have a reputation in that, but some of that still has not changed, ah, we love what you do. And so, again, the first year or two of being here, I was terribly discouraged. Even though I wasn't from the Bible Belt, I had never lived in a place that was as uh, non-evangelical as this. And so, in, in going through that, I was really discouraged. I did not want to be here. I thought I made a mistake. I'm, again, just being honest with you. I did not want to be here. You know, the church was shrinking quickly. And it was horrible. I didn't like it. I didn't. But, again, God continued to burn something in me. God continued to work in me. Okay, God, I don't have it, so I need a heart for this community like you have for this community because I don't have it right now. And I want to love this community the way you do. And I was discouraged, and God continued to say, "Do not be discouraged." And church, you may find yourself today as a Christian in this community being discouraged. You may find yourself being discouraged about one thing or another. But Jesus does not want you to be discouraged. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be built up. He wants you to be hopeful. We serve a God who says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God is looking to do. God is looking for us to be. God is looking for men and women that will rise up and step up. And this that he wrote to this little church in Smyrna 2,000 years ago. It still applies today. Amen, it does. He says this in verse, listen to the words that he, that he penned here. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. He says this, verse nine, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander or, or some versions say the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews or those who say they are God's people and are not but are of a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Church, he was calling them, he's calling us. He's calling us to endure what he endured for you. He's calling us to this place. And again, I, I, if you know that Jesus loves you, and you love Jesus with all of your heart, and you have recognized and realized what it is that he has done for you in your life, and what he has provided for you, then we become willing to do that, even though it is hard and he's telling us here it's going to be hard it's going to be tough jesus in this place here he tells us there's five things that you guys are going to five ways in which you're going to be mistreated and again talking to this new testament church he tells them this he says number one he says there will be tribulation not he's not talking about the great tribulation He's talking about there will be tribulation. And church, when you come to Christ, there will be tribulation. You have become an enemy of God's enemy. And so there will come difficult things. There will come hard times. Listen, becoming a Christian doesn't mean your life becomes easier. It means that now we have to enter into battle, that we have got to rise up and begin to do as God's called us to do, and to stand against and to stand up in the midst of the difficulties that come. Listen, as a Christian, my, I certainly found this out, and I believe this is what he's talking Life gets harder. He also tells us that there will be poverty. Listen, and as a Christian, it's going to cost you money. And I'm not talking about tithes and offerings. I'm I'm talking about the fact that some of you, because you're a Christian, as God's called you to be, if you begin to act and do as God's called you to act and be, some of you, you know what, you're going to lose your job. Some of you may lose some inheritance. Some of you may lose some provision. Some of you may lose some things that may be taken away because you stand for Christ and won't stand and won't renounce that. It may cost you greatly. And it may cost you in ways that you will not receive back that repayment until you enter into the kingdom of God. For some, he says, you will be slandered. I, I, again, I've been through this. I, being a Christian means that your reputation may take some real powerful hits. That people may say things about you that are untrue that people may find it free to misrepresent you, to lie about you, to lie about your church, to lie about your faith, to lie about your God, to lie about the word, to lie about that. People will misunderstand you. People will purposely misrepresent you. People will say things about those that you love, about the church that you love, about the God that you love. People will say all sorts of things. In church, in fact, you probably have all experienced that. It's true, and it's still, it goes on today. Jesus' words are true. All of Jesus' words are true. Church, he tells us that there will be suffering. That things get difficult. That being a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden, all suffering goes away. In fact, he tells us it won't. That some of you may, we may suffer for the fact that we are Christian. That we are standing up for our faith. That we are standing up for what God has called us to. And again, I know we don't always like this message. I know, cheery message today. Thanks, Pastor Mark. So glad I came. But you realize that this is what he said to the church in whom he gave no rebuke. Keep that in mind. Yes, amen. So being a Christian, life gets difficult. And again, number five, it could even include death. I mean, there are so many Christian martyrs today. Even still today. From before Jesus all the way to the beginning of time and through to Jesus and on to today, there are continual people being martyred for the cause of Christ. Do you know there are more martyrs today than there have been through history? That there are more people being killed for the cause of Christ, for the gospel today than ever in history? We've been given this example of men like Polycarp, men obviously like Jesus, all the way to those today that would die for Christ, that this is a price that may very well be paid. Are we willing? Now, you know, let me just say, I uh, do not stand up and volunteer to be first. I don't want to die. I'm not trying to cause conflict so that I can make people hate me. I don't want to, you know, again, I don't want to say things today that will offend you and make you not want to go back so that you can go out there and misrepresent what I say. But I'm gonna. Because that's what the Word does. The Word will offend us. I don't want those things. But I believe the Word of God. I believe the Bible. My Bible tells me in Philippians 1 it says, For me to live is Christ. How did Christ live? For me to live is Christ. To me, to live is Christ. I'm going to live by the example that Jesus gave me. And if it's to walk through this life and to experience what he experienced, then I'm going to count it as a privilege. Because for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to die is gain because for me, as a believer, as a one who is born again, follower of Jesus Christ, I have the promise that I will not experience the second death. Amen. Yeah. That is his promise for us. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be no hell. There will be no condemnation. There will be no wrath. And church, hear me. For a Christian, for a Christian, this world is as close to hell as you'll ever get. For a non-believer, this world is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. Look, because Jesus Christ died for us and Jesus rose for us, if we willingly laid down our life to, to die for him, we will rise with him. It's a promise of his word that we shall be with him. God's word is still true and this is still true today. I know there are some of you that have lost family members over your stand for Christ I know there are some of you that have lost friends and there are some of you that have lost all sorts of things as you were rejected because you received Jesus into your life. There are some of you that probably have lost jobs. There are some of you that have lost friends that you don't even know you've lost those friends. They just slowly faded away because they just didn't want anything to do with that. Some of you have lost spouses over it. And let me just say that Jesus grieves with you. Jesus does, he understands. He completely understands because he experienced all of those same things while he was here on the earth. In our world history, there's a, a whole pattern of putting Christians in jail. In church, I believe that we have much of that to look forward to in the future. I, I, I do, whether in my lifetime or my grandkids' lifetimes, I believe that there is much of that in the same future that's ahead. But I'm thankful that Jesus experienced all of that as well. And some of you, even some of you may experience the threat of death. The threat of being killed or in fear for your own life. But this is what he says. Do not fear. Do not fear. He says in verse 11, and he says this to you. Please listen. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear What the Spirit has to say to the churches, Jesus wants you to have an open ear to hear a word that He wants to speak into your life, a word that He wants to speak into your heart. God wants you to open your ears so that you can hear Him. And it is very, very important, church, that you believe this word that He wants to speak to you. So He says, if you have an ear, open your ear, because I want you to hear this. And right before that, He just said this. Do not fear. Don't fear what you're about to start. Don't fear what you're going to go. Don't fear. Do you know that do not fear is the most most widely given command in all the scriptures? It's the most common command in all the Bible because I believe it's the most common problem that people of the Bible will face. Look, who are you afraid of? Don't get all macho. what are you afraid of? There's something for all of us. But if we come to that place where we start to understand what I'm afraid of, we will realize that that, that as we give that fear a platform, that that fear now has the ability to paralyze me. That that fear will cause me not to live courageously, not to speak out boldly. That fear will stop me in my tracks from what it is that God's calling me to do. And listen, do you know why Jesus told us do not be afraid, do not fear? He told us that because he knew there was gonna be a lot of reasons for us to fear. Listen, Jesus, the word of God is never redundant to a point where he tells us to do things that come natural. He only commands us to do the things that don't. And that's why this command is given over and over and over again. Do not fear. Why? Because I'm not promising that life's going to go easy. In fact, I'm telling you that things are going to go difficult. You're going to have a hard time. He does not promise that all of a sudden everything's just going to fit in place the way we want it or things are going to happen the way we say. No, he doesn't promise us that life will be easy. He doesn't promise us that we won't have fear. He says that I will be with you as you walk through it. What he does promise is I will be with you. And our God, the God who promises to be with us, is a God who in his lifetime here on earth, he faced tribulation and he faced poverty and he faced slander and he faced suffering and he faced death. And he experienced it all. And because of that, He can now walk with you and I. He can take us in this present time and walk with us and comfort us as we walk the road of life that God has us on. And since He has walked on that road, He is inviting you and I to walk with Him. Think about it. The King of all kings, the God who created the stars and put the the moon and the stars in place, the God who created it all, the God who took a handful of dirt and breathed life into it, that same God says, I experienced all of those things and I'm going to walk with you through every step of this life. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Thank you Lord. Therefore, he says this, do not fear. Do not fear. Church, I know this doesn't sound like a fun thing, but they can take away your money. And they can take away your reputation. And they can take away your life. But do not fear. They cannot take away your Jesus. You cannot lose what he has come to give you. And if Jesus Christ is what you treasure more than anything else in this world, then listen, the fact that he is always with you, the fact that he cannot be taken away from you, that is enough for me not to fear. He is more than enough. Do not fear. Jesus' words to you today. Let me just say a couple things about fear. Fear fear will almost always turn you into false prophets. Fear will make you look into the future and see all of the worst case scenarios and then we begin to believe them and live in fear of what might happen. When the truth is, is you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what tomorrow has. You don't know what the future will bring. But Jesus does. You don't know what's going to happen. So why do we live in fear of what we think might happen? I think we should be a whole lot less concerned about the future and what might happen and a whole lot more concerned about just doing what God has called us to do in the here and now and trusting the one who died for your sins to give you life and life more abundant. Trust him with your future. He's done it for you. Do not fear. Fear also has the ability to do this. Fear has the ability to cause you either to run to God or to run from God. Fear will reveal what's really down in our heart. You know, a child with, with, with a good mom and dad, when that child is, is fearful, they don't have to think about it. What do they do? They run to mom and dad. They run. Why? Because that's where they know their protection is. That's where their place of safety is. That's where their place of security is because that's where they've always found it. And so they turn and they run to their parent. And that's a sign of that wonderful relationship between a son and their father. Listen, that's what happens in us because everyone is afraid of something. Something. Everyone is afraid of someone. Everyone is afraid at some time. Everyone goes through this. And church, let me just, a couple of myths. Fear is not a sin. God's called us not to live by fear. He tells us he's not the one who gave that to us. And we have to understand where it's coming from. He wants us to understand But it's not like, he he wouldn't command over 365 times, do not fear, if he knew that it was just going to be a sin for us to fear. So we stand up in the midst of, in the face of fear. It doesn't always just go away. Let me also say this. I don't believe that fear is just simply a demonstration of a lack of faith. I think real true faith comes when we begin to trust God while we're in the face of fear, while we're standing in this place afraid of what might happen or what's happening or going on in my body or in my relationships and what's going on. But God, I choose to trust you in the midst of all of these things that want to overwhelm me with fear. I choose to trust you, God. Fear is an opportunity for us to choose to run to God, knowing and trusting that He was the one that's able to deliver us. And even if He doesn't, that He's going to walk with us through the face of all that we have to go through. That He will come through this with us. And He may use the time, church, listen, He may use the time to teach us to be more Christ-like by experiencing some of the sufferings that He went through. He goes to show the amazingness of our God, that he's able to take even what was meant for evil and to use it for good in our lives, that Jesus himself, Jesus was murdered so that we could know the love of God, and church, God is good, come on, say that, my God is good, and he is good all the time. But he also talks about an evil enemy here. He talks about the devil, and everything that the devil does is evil. Everything he does, don't think for a second that he's your friend. Don't think that you can just play around with him. Don't think that you can just, hey, you know what? He's okay for me. He's not. Well, if I just, you know, entertain the enemy, then, you know what, he'll, he'll leave me alone in this lifetime. He'll leave me alone. He'll stop these evil things from happening in my life. And let me just say, he may. But all the devil can do is eliminate some of the evil things that might happen to you in this world so that you can experience nothing but evil and wickedness for an eternal life to come. Jesus says, you may go through some suffering in this world, but I have prepared a place for you, eternal life where all of those things will be gone, where there will be no more weeping and no more sorrow. I have prepared a place for you like that. Our God is good and our God is so much more powerful than what the enemy is. He's a, our God is so much more powerful than the enemy that he is able to take what the enemy means for evil and he's able to turn it about and to use it for good in our lives. He is able to take what the enemy means for evil and use it in our life to show us how much God loves us. How in the world do you do that? I don't, it's gonna take eternity for me to understand that. And praise God, I'm just going to sit at his feet and learn and listen and hear all these things that God has to say. Amen. He says, do not fear. Do not fear. Church, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There are some of you in this place today that God has called to step into ministry. I mean into Some of you that God's called you to step into just the ministry in your own life. Some of you that God has called to step into a full time kind of ministry or a volunteer kind of ministry. God has called you. Yeah, I know. I can see some of you are going, putting your head down. I hope He doesn't look at me. God is calling you to that. And you just don't think you're able. You don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're this. You don't think you're that. Let me just say this do not be afraid. There are some of you that God has called to plant churches. There are some of you that God has called to go out with the gospel message. There are some of you that God has called to step out and to begin to fill that place and to fill that role. You know that call is down in your heart. Let me say this. Do not be afraid. There are some of you in this place today that God has called you with a message. He's placed it on your heart. He has called you to step out and to evangelize. He's called you to be bold in his presence and to begin to rise up and do as he's called you to do, but you have backed away. Let me say, do not be afraid. Do what God's called you to do. Step up. Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, should the Lord tarry? Wouldn't it be amazing if 2,000 years from now, there was a church still here with a bright light burning in Tooele? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was something that was happening here, a church that's continued to love Jesus was here in Tooele? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a church here that was willing to reach out and continuing to reach out and continuing to do what God had called us to do, that was serving Jesus right here in Tooele? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a church church here in Tooele that was continuing for the sake of Christ to make Jesus famous in all of Utah and all around the world. That people were coming to know Jesus because of a little light that continued to burn in a little place called Tooele. This is the part then that you have to understand. That you are a part of that divine plan. Come on you can hear my voice, you are a part of this plan. You think you came because you decided to get up this morning and come to church. That is not why you're here today. One way or another, God would have got you here. You're here because He wants you to hear this. Hear what the Spirit says to the church. God has placed you here today. He has brought you here today. You are hearing this message today because God ordained before the beginning of time that you would come and you would be here and you would hear this message and now God is presenting to you the option. Either you respond or you reject what I'm saying to you today. But I want to say, do not fear. Don't fear. In Acts chapter 17, if you read through that, you'll see it's God who determines when we're born and God who determines where we live. I know there are those who feel like, well, I got the short end of the stick. (laughs) No, you know where the best place to be? Is where God wants you to be. And you're here because God wants you to be here. Do not fear. You are a part of God's divine plan. You are a part of what God wants to do in this church, in the church, in this city, in the state. You are a part of what God wants to do around the world. God's calling you and I to be a light. A light that would burn and a light that would burn continuously. And the angels are doing their part. They're battling on our behalf in the heavenlies and God's calling you and I to step up and to do what He's called us to do. In the face of fear in the face of persecution, that we would rise up and do what God has called us to do. Because Tooele matters. Because Izmir matters. Because Smyrna matters. Because people matter. Because you matter. Because Jesus matters. Church, you have been placed in a very difficult city. Why? Because he knows you can do it. why you've been placed here do not be afraid oh god's got something wonderful planned god's got something beautiful planned you now there may be some rough roads and all those things in place but listen when we're walking in god's will there is perfect peace and this is my it is a great honor To be chosen by the God who walked this world and went through what he went through. It is an honor to be chosen by God. You are honored to be chosen by God for just such a time as this. And that's you. Worship team, would you come up? And I I wanna say this, and I'm gonna step out on a limb here. may offend half of you. (laughs) But please hear me out. Let me especially talk to you men right now. The future of the church in Tooele is in the hands of the men of God that he has called to step up and to lead For those he's calling to step out and to begin to serve faithfully, to serve willingly, to begin to do what God has called us to do. He is looking for men that will get off the couch, get off their butt and get to work doing what God has called us to do. Beginning to lead, beginning to lead in our home, beginning to lead in our city. God is calling men. He is calling you and asking you to step out and begin to walk in holiness, to begin to do as God's called you to do, to begin to study faithfully, to begin to know the Word of God, to understand the Word of God, and to step up and to step out in a courageous way. God is looking for people that will make the church, this church, that will make this city something that's more than just a place we dwell, but something that we begin to step up and take responsibility for. The church, the city, the Listen, it's not enough today. It is not enough to just be a Christian in the city. God is looking for fruitful Christians that will rise up in the city and do what God's called us to do that we can see the light of God begin to go forth. Where are those who will rise up and begin to see the fruit of God poured through our lives? It's not enough just to dwell in the city. We need to take responsibility for the city. And if you're a a, a man, this is a... wonderful opportunity. This could be a historic opportunity for us to step up and to begin to lead our families, to begin to lead our wives to love Jesus, to lead those around us to love Jesus. And if you're a single man, this is an opportunity for you to make a commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to yoke myself with a woman that loves Jesus and will support that walk. And if I'm a single, if you're a single woman in this place today, to commit yourself that I'm going to yoke myself with a man that will lead me to the cross, a man that will lead me in my spiritual life. I'm going to set myself apart so that we, as a body and as a family of God and as families individually, we could begin to see families and our children coming to know and to love Jesus Christ with their lives to see children raised up to love Jesus to see families raised up to love Jesus to see grandchildren raised up to love Jesus to see great-grandchildren raised up to love Jesus so that we could leave behind a generation of servants of God that are loving Jesus Christ and living for God this is where we are and the choice that God has given us should be more than just the women clapping there Listen, we need to have generations. We need our children. We need our grandchildren. We need our great-grandchildren to rise up and to learn how to serve Jesus Christ without fear because they watched mom and dad, grandma and grandpa serve Jesus and not be afraid. Church, Jesus loves you. He, you know he loves you. And church, so do I. I love you. And I am so thankful to be a part of this with you. And I want to thank you for the encouragement that you are in my life. I want to thank you that because of you, I mean, I I may not be good, but because of you, each day I I strive to become a little better. Each day I want to be a better man because of you. Each day I want to serve God a little more because of you. You're an encouragement to me. You want to, because of you, I want to be a better husband to exemplify that before you. Because of you, I want to be a better dad. Because of you, I want to be a better grandpa. Because of you, I want to be around for my great, great, great grandkids. I want to live as long as God will give me and I want to be an example of one who will step up. And because of you, I step out and I'm not afraid. I thank you for the privilege it is to run this race with you to walk this out with you. You help me to not be afraid. You help me not be afraid to say the hard things. You help me be willing to rightly divide the word of God. You help me and I thank you for that. And I wanna say to you today Do not fear. Amen? Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to minister in your heart today. What is he speaking to you? What is he calling you to do, to step out to? What is that most impossible thing that he's saying? Yep, that's what I'm asking you to do. How does he want your light to to burn? For God to keep a light alive in this church, it only takes one. But from that one, God wants a a raging inferno, a light that would burn bright, that could not just be seen inside the walls of this church, but a light that could be seen in this community beginning with your family Lord speak to our hearts today I believe he's already spoken to so many of you he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches do not be afraid Lift up your voices. I'm
1: no longer
0: a slave to fear. Come on. I am a child of God. Sing it out, church.
1: I'm no longer a slave to fear.
0: Come on, amen? Church, do not fear. Go do what God's called you to do. Listen, church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go out and be the church. Go be the light. Go be the salt. Go be what God has called you to be. Step up and be that light in this community for Jesus. God bless you. I love you. Don't forget, get plugged into a life group. Get your life and begin to come together in that way. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Go be the church.